Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppress. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. People, what's happening? And what you know good, we'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting you with the rawest opinion while giving the straight up facts. That's right, no fake news here. I'm Jules. Impress. We're giving sight to the blind today, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we are joined by A Dub from the Bears Essential Podcast as we pull back the curtain on the ineffectiveness of the NFL's Rooney Rule and much, much more. Press, what's popping, baby? Man, I can't call it Jules. What's a good word with you, bro? Oh, man, you know how I do it. Ain't nobody smooth like me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he's over there listening to more of that Morris Day. <laughs> you know, everything's smooth, man. I, You know, I ain't getting no complaints, man. And even if you did, man, nobody really cares at the end of the day. So just keep it to yourself. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm yes, just sir. fucking with you. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> hey, man, before we get into the episode, man, I wanted to uh, just send out a special uh, thank you to our listeners. I was overwhelmed by a lot of the, the messages on social media and the emails that came in, uh, just offering condolences to the family uh, with the loss of my grandmother. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. even thank you guys enough for that. Jules, thank you and, and Ray so much for last week. Great episode. But, man, I was just humbled by all of that and still kind of humbled just by all the outreach that came in. So just wanted to thank you guys uh, for everything. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of things, Jules, man, I think prayers are in order for our brother DMX. Not sure if you saw the Dude, reports. I was about to say, man, Steve hit me up and told me, man, I'm mm-hmm. glad you said something. Yeah. Grave condition. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't want to put anything out there about what exactly happened, but they said maybe a possible overdose or something along those lines. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But man, Mm -hmm. Jules, that was tough to hear. 
I woke up and I saw that headline and I'm like, no, man, come on. I instantly, man, said a prayer and wish he gets well and, and recover and press. That was our guy, man. Hell yeah, that was our guy. <laughs> man. man, we used to bump that going to work when we was up at uh, oh. FedEx back in the day. That yes, was every so. day. <laughs> man, and like we said on the uh, on the pod, on the previous episode, hey man, that was my, when I started working out, that Dark and Hell is Hot album was my workout music when yes, I was in sir. the basement just lifting. Yeah, dude, that was tough to hear. And, and you know what, man? It just brings a deeper conversation when it comes to addiction, right? Because he not only suffered from that, but he's bipolar as well. So, I mean, dude, he had a lot that was going on, a tough upbringing. And, man, for our listeners, man, this is why Jules and I do episodes like the ones that we've done in the past, because drug addiction is no joke. And I really hope Mm -mm. that he makes a full recovery because he's probably battling a lot of things in his life. And I really hope that he can make it through this tough time. Yeah, m- most definitely. To back with what you said, Press. Unfortunately, I s- see this a lot, and I get these calls of person down because of addiction. And sometimes, one one time, I actually saved the person, and he was just laying out in the alley. And I have to, I did some chest compression, some chest rub to kind of keep him going while the uh, ambulance come, and they hit him with some shots of uh, Narcan, and he's able to pull through. He was able to pull through. We got to him in time. and But it is no joke. It is a sad scene. It is no joke. And, and that's why we need these people out here at organizations and just so people with problems to go have somebody talk to, to kind of to wing them off of and, and, and help them. It, it, it's essential. It's, it's what we need. Unfortunately, we live in a world where drugs, they're out here. They're out here and people will get into them and they might get hooked and stuff, but it's no good. And, and they need help. They shouldn't be tossed to the side like, hey, you know what? That's on them. Mm-hmm. These people go through a lot of things, like you said, Press, and unfortunately, they look to that as outreach, and it's not a good outreach. So, so man, we have to do better for uh, everybody in general. Have to do better with people battling addiction. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent, man. And, and like I've said on some previous shows, I think because there's so many stigmas in this country when it comes to drugs, a lot of times people that are battling addiction they don't feel comfortable with opening up to those around them. So. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's listening to this, man, if you suffer from any of this type of stuff, know that there is somebody in your life that cares. You can get through this and you don't have to go through this by yourself. So when I hear a story like this with DMX, it breaks my heart, bro. And also to Jules, you know, shout out to you, man, because the story that you told about saving a life, because that's a situation right there where, shit, if you didn't get there, that person wouldn't be here. And I hope that that person is still around. I hope so too, man. I, he was good when I when we left the hospital, but I hope he was able to, to get help and kind of, you know, kind of kind of get back on get back on track. That's what's up, man. But yeah, man. So audience, man, this 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 thing here with DMX, it hits us just because this was one of the guys, man. When we were coming up, that man, one of the best rappers oh, out there. Man. Energy, I mean, dude, just everything about him, man, and just the, the way that he came up because he didn't have the best upbringing. I mean, he, he his mom's hated him. And his grandmother was like his true mother. And she passed Mm -hmm. away when he was kind of becoming famous. And then also, let's not forget that his record label fucked him over. And that's when the drugs started to kind of take a hold of him. And that's why me and Jules are talking about this. People have things that happen in their lives. And for whatever reason, maybe the substance that is out there is something that gives them some sort of comfort or it could take their mind off of the the problems Mm -hmm. they have in life, right? Whatever it may be. So just... Man, hearts and prayers, man. They go out to DMX right now. Yes, sir. All right, Jules, let's get into some of these mailback questions, man. So the first okay. one came over from uh, from Ben. 
He's uh, he lives in Arlington, Virginia. And his question was, do you guys collect anything? So, Jules, I'm going to throw this over to you. Yes. You know what? I collect a few things. Great question, because one thing I'm starting to collect are those police patches from different states and stuff, cities. You know, like for us, it'll be, you know, Chicago police. So a buddy of mine, just he's from uh, Puerto Rico. And I told him, hey, bring me back a patch for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I collect those things. He brought me back a Puerto Rican um, police patch. So I collect those things now. So how many do you have? So far, I have five from different um, different little cities or states or even countries. So so I got Puerto Rico now and also get one for Aruba. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so uh, what are you going to do? You're going to put them up in a little glass enclosure at the crib or what you going to do? Yeah, I probably put them in a little frame or something. And I know it, people, I know you, some of you probably think it's corny, but I think it's neat. So, you know, just put them side by side to each other, put them in a little frame and hang them up. I mean, you know, oh. it, it's also like uh, when you go visit and you people buy magnet, magnets for the fridge or shot glasses. It's a little something extra. That's all. Well, listen, it's not like you said you was collecting stamps because then I'd have clowned your ass for about a good five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, do people still collect stamps? I would know. I don't talk to people to do that. <laughs> Nerds. <laughs> but yeah, no, man. Just kidding. Hey, no, but for real. So, no, that's cool, man. So you got five, and I'm assuming you probably got hundreds to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so so a partner of mine has told me, he said, bring some, if wherever I'm going, just take some extra little uh, CPD ones, and then, you know, just exchange them, whatever, you know, state or city or country I go to. Oh, there you so, go. A little, yeah. little, little exchange situation there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I see you. All right. All right, so mine is, um, I collect Jordans. I'm not going to tell anybody how many pair I own. It's a lot. And also, I don't want anybody trying to come over here and do nothing because uh, prayers do pack. So, you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, Uh-oh, okay. <laughs> but all jokes aside, though, Jordans, I, when we were coming up, and Jules and I always talk about this, man. Those shoes were so expensive for us as kids. I never owned a pair, man, until I was like 14. And I'm telling you, I took mm-hmm. care of that pair of shoes. Like, man, that shit was like my best friend. So uh, as I got older, man, and, you know, you you kind of get, you know, better with life and, you know, things, you know, start to work your way a little bit. I was able to start, you know, collecting and getting some. And they have so many special edition pair. I mean, these shoes, man, the different colorways that they have, man, it, it's addicting. So, I mean, I... I get a probably a new pair every month. So just to add to the collection. Oh man. Hey, hey, Prez, what size are you? <laughs> 17, <laughs> 17 double E. 17? Oh man. <laughs> oh man, I can't do nothing with them then. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna love them. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I, was, see, I was throwing Jules off the set because Jules may try to come over here. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm just like I'm just I'm hey, I'm gonna slide through. I'm like, hey, what up, Prez? I'm just coming to visit, check on you, and we get distracted. I'm gonna I'm go in that secret stash and get those get those Jordans, man. See all this, he, he gonna bring that, he gonna bring Steve over here, the guy he always talk about. That's his enforcer. <laughs> <laughs> they gonna drive over here in that Ford Fusion. Oh yeah. Hey, you know what? Um uh, I was in it the other day. I went by his house and um uh, it's nice, man. 2019. Okay. Ford Fusion and and man, he let me he let me drive in that. Hey man, I think it's nice. It's okay. I'm proud of you, Steve. Does it, uh, does, it does it get up like that uh, Mustang? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I think you know what? I ain't even asking what kind of engine size is it because it's like a like an eco 
friendly type thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know what they damn. But you know what? But I'll tell no. you one thing. He ain't gonna be spending a lot of money on gas because man, no. bro. He said like 40, he can get 40 miles. Oh goodness gracious. On a gallon. Nice. I know, I know this is about to sound like a first world problem, man, but I, I filled up one of the vehicles, uh, God, was it like last week? It was $101. I'm like, what in the hell is going Ooh. on with gas right now? <laughs> Sheesh. <laughs> what you what you put what you putting in? Premium? Well, I have to. German engine. Okay. You, know, you can't go. Oh, okay. Man. Okay. okay. Bro, that hit my whole soul. Cause I remember back, remember when we was younger, bro, and we had to, you know, put a little $10, $15 in the get in the gas tank and to fill it up. What happened to them days? Mm-hmm. No, them days are gone. And dude, we barely had the money for gas back then. Yeah, $10. Ten, you was good with $10, but now, mm-mm. No, you can't do nothing with no $10. <laughs> Shit. You, wow. can't get, you can't even get nothing to eat for $10. No, no, you, you should. These some crazy times. As I digress, next mailback yeah. question, mm-hmm. Jules, comes over from Danielle from Houston, Texas. And she wanted to know, what would our campaign slogans be if we were running for public office? So, you know, Trump had a slogan, make America great again, right? Uh, yeah, go <laughs> So my campaign slogan would be make humanity great again. Because, Prez, we're living in some days where I don't even know what to call it. This world is beautiful. You can enjoy yourself. It's lovely. Got a lot of sites, a lot of places to go to. People, good, great people and friends and laughter and stuff. But you know what? There's a part of this world that is just evil. And what are we seeing right now? with these mass shootings. I don't even know what to make of it. Since the Atlanta shooting, and that's only been two, two and a half weeks ago, it's been at least 20 more since then. One in a couple of days ago, you had, you had one in California. On the 31st, you had one in California and also one in Washington. So, you know, these systems killing us to me, man, just crazy. And, and that would be my slogan. Make humanity great again, man. People, we need to love each other and, and cut all this systems violence, you know, cut all the systems violence out. There ain't no place for it, man. No, hey man, I agree with you, man. Mm-hmm. I've been saying that shit since we were shorties. I, I never, I never really understood where all the, the the hatred and the animosity comes from. And I'm just gonna say it like this: I never understood where the animosity came from from our Caucasian people. I never understood why they have so much animosity towards us. I mean, I just don't get it, man. So for me, that make humanity great again is awesome because there's too much evil, there's too much hate in this world, and man, mm-hmm. dude, like at the end of the day. Even if you don't agree with somebody's lifestyle, like how they get down, whatever the case may be, dude, keep it moving and do what you got to do. It's a lot of shit out here I right. see that I don't agree with, but I ain't out here fucking with nobody. You do you. All right, exactly. And I'm be over here trying to get my garage rebuilt. I ain't fucking with nobody out here. I'm peaceful, Jules. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, speaking of, man, let me know when it's finished, man. Come over there. I got that wine for you. Okay, man. Hey, I appreciate that. It's gonna be a little bit, man. I, I just got permits uh back yesterday. So it's it's gonna be a bit of a process, but I will let you okay. know. Yes, you okay. will be the, you will be the second to know. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> hey, I'm cool with it. All right. So my campaign slogan, and this one, Danielle, is gonna be a little bit of a spin on that UPS slogan. If anybody doesn't know okay. what the UPS slogan is, is what can Brown do for you? My slogan is gonna be. What Brown can do for you. All about Black's excellence over here. Okay. Black excellence vibes. Okay, I like it. You know what I'm saying? So audience, what Brown can do for you. Try Brown. What Brown can do? Try Brown. I got you. What Brown? 
I like that, man. Hey, that's dope. I like that. <laughs> I like that. See? And I'm telling you, I should probably run for public office, Daniel. I've been thinking about it. Yeah, man, you should, man. I, hey, I'm with you, man. I'll be out there going door to doors, man, promoting it. See, there you go. Hey, we're going to give you a league. Hey, ma'am, I know you don't know who Prez is, but guess what? I need to holler at you real quick. And they, mm-hmm. see, them, they see them traps. Like, yes, sir, yeah. I'll sign whatever you need. <laughs> uh, Sorry, Officer Jules. They probably won't even middle of the door. They're like, who is Oh, no, nah, don't open the door. He a, he a damn burglar. <laughs> <laughs> well, over here, probably. <laughs> <laughs> they like, no, nah, he's smiling oh, too much. They, they, they say he's smiling too much. Ain't nobody that damn happy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, oh, man. man. All right, so the last mailback question came over from Mario. He's from Chicago's Little Village. Shout out, Mario. He All asked, right, Mario. If you could say one thing to the world right now, what would it be? Oh, man, that's the easy one. I tell the world to tune in and listen to Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. All right, my man. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, I double down on that one. <laughs> so, so mine, very short and simple. If you see something, do something. Mm-hmm. There's too much that goes on in this world right now that goes unchecked, and we have to be better about caring about what happens to the next person. So if you see something, do something. You can't have the attitude of, well, they got nothing to do with me. Eh, that's kind of fucked up, you know? And that's why things are the way that they are. So that's mine. I second that, man. I yes, like sir. It. Yes, sir. Well, hey, Jules, you mentioned that we got a special guest. Before we get into bringing in our brother A-Dub, there's a couple things that I wanted mm-hmm. to chat with you about. The first one. In Evanston, I saw where their city council passed a measure where they're going to be bringing a form of reparations to black citizens in Evanston. Did you see that? And okay. what were some of your thoughts about that? Because I got tons. <laughs> uh, hey, when I first when I first heard, it, I said, "Really?" <laughs> I was like, "Okay." And then it was talking about how they take some of the profit from the cannabis sales and they put a percentage, and they're gonna start giving black residents who's who's qualified reparations. I was like, okay, cool. And, and and so it was like, okay, so what it's what are we talking about? Are we talking about money or whatever the case may be. And then it was like, okay, for the people who was disenfranchised for getting homes. And I was like, okay, so they're able to get to loans and other things. I said, okay, well, that's cool. I thought it was I thought it was a start. Yeah. So when when I looked at it, Jules, I thought, okay, it's cute. Mm-hmm. But, but then I like I, I kind of dug into it a little bit more. And so okay. when I saw it, I said, okay. They approved $400,000 in payments that's going to go to these Black families. And like you mentioned, these are people that were disenfranchised, right? But for our listeners, details matter. So you have to look at this situation and say, okay, these funds can only be used by eligible people on home-related expenses. So home repairs, down payments, things of that nature, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this isn't really a reparations program on its surface, I still say with the initial investment of only being $400,000, you're dividing that $400,000 up against how many people? That's one of the problems that I have with it. Also, if anybody wants to look up more details on it, Google it, because this only goes back to 1919. So I believe it's from 1919 to 1969 are the years. But this thing needs to go back a little bit further than that, because our condition didn't just start in 1919. I mean, I'm just going to just say that part. It's not cash fund based. These funds are being paid directly to mortgage institutions. But this approach does not lock out a majority of people that were affected by housing discrimination. 
the stuff that we talked about in the show with redlining. Right. Think about people that face an eviction. They don't qualify for a mortgage. So where's the where's the incentive for them? Like another thing to think about. This is a start, but they need to look at this thing. And if they're going to be the front runner, meaning Evanston, then do this right. Where are the programs that stop people from incurring late fees that mess up their credit? Where are the programs that are going to help people with those dings that go in their credit report? Because if you know, as you know, in this country, if you don't have credit, you got nothing. True. And it's this bad credit and these penalties are what continue to keep that poverty cycle in this country going, and especially in our inner cities. And so for me, I'm never going to come down on a, on a city for wanting to help. But what I want to make sure that this is not just a situation where we're just trying to throw money at a problem. What we what I want to do, and this is what I always talk about on the show, is we need to be hitting things at the roots of what the issues are. So as Jules said, I thought, yeah, it's a, it a decent first step. Now, one thing that I was really happy about was there's an organization that's based out of Oakland, California, the, the Family Independence Initiative. And what they did is they saw what was passed there in Evanston, and they decided, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to basically start a program where we're going to help out these residents in Evanston. So what it is is it's 25 residents in Evanston that this organization is going to pay $300 a month to for the next 10 months. Is that Evanston or California? So I was saying that their California-based organization is bringing that to citizens of uh, Evanston. So if there's more than 25 applications, then they're going to choose mm-hmm. residents at random. And so okay. for any of our listeners, if you guys do live in Evanston and you or, or someone that you know in your family or friend base is somebody that will qualify, there's a, an application. And they're due, I believe, on April 6th. We'll put the link up on our social media accounts so that way you guys can have uh, exposure to what these guys are doing. But when I saw that, I said, now that's actual kind of starting to get to the point of reparations because that's like a cash-based type of program. And it's going to help people to actually be able to elevate themselves and move up a little bit. Because one thing to think about when it comes to homeownership in this country only 41% of Black Americans own a home. So in this case, right. where Everson is trying to do what they're trying to do, most of the people that live in that, in that town, and, and for anybody that doesn't know, Everson is pretty expensive. So most of them won't ever even see this money because they can't afford to even purchase a home in that, in that town. And yeah, that again, expensive. yeah, and that again shows the massive discrepancy that we talk about on the show when it comes to race. I'm just going to be honest here. Us getting a loan versus somebody that doesn't look like me or Jules is sometimes a little bit different. I've already shared with you guys my personal story when I purchased my first home and how difficult it was for mm-hmm. me and why I was forced to move way away from the area that I had targeted. So there's levels to this thing, and that's why I want to make sure that if we are going to put together a program that we're going to call reparations, then let's just make sure that it actually touches on that and actually lends true to what reparations are. Because when you think about what reparations are, they are owed by our federal government. The city of Evanston didn't put African-Americans into slavery. The city of Evanston didn't right. do the conditions that are basically troubling and plaguing these inner city communities. Our federal government is the ones that did this. They're the ones that should be basically coming up with these type of incentives and these programs to help people. And that's why mm-hmm. I thought what Evanston did 
this to me, Jules, it felt like more of like a homeowner's credit type of situation than actually reparations. That's kind of what it felt like to me. Yeah, because they're talking about the, the qualified household would just will receive 25000 for it. Yeah, like we were talking about with the repairs and down payments and stuff like that. The good thing about this, it brought the conversation to the table where this is the prototype. We'll say this is the invention, this is the prototype. Well, another vendor will say, like in California, will say, well, you know what? We can spin it and do it this way. So at least, okay, what Everson did, somebody else can take a look at it and say, we can do it. We can do it better. We can finagle and make it better and, and help people out and really call it reparations. Because like to your point, he's saying it's like a, like a homeowner credit or as you would say. And then you have people in here. Now you have people saying, well, okay, the question is, how much repayment is enough and, you know, for the number of years for the, for the violence that our people, our ancestors have been through, you know, been through with slavery and, and, and segregation and, and Jim Crow's and stuff like that. And how much back pay is sufficient? You know, so it's like, the answer to that question, nothing. There's no amount of repayment is enough for what happened. No back pay is, is ever going to be enough. But right here is a, is a start that from now on, from today into the future, at least we can close in that, that generational gap. Black people and people in color or, or people in color can live in good neighborhoods without, you know, being treated, you know, being treated differently or, or being disenfranchised. And if you want to hear some good stuff, listen back to our episodes 32 and 33 uh, for redlining. Mm-hmm. It's some good stuff. So, so yeah, like we say, it's, it's good. People gonna, it's going And it's only going to get better, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I can see part of what you're saying there. And I will say this, Jules. The fact that it starts a conversation is the part that I I like. Mm -hmm. One thing that I want to just make sure, though, I want to make sure that other states don't use what Evanston did as like a basically like, oh, okay, here's the thing that they put in place. Now we're going to do this the same way, because that means nothing's basically being done to actually dig in and really address the situation. Another thing that I worry about with this is (laughs) I don't want people outside of, of this race to look at this and, and, and get annoyed or have some sort of resentment. Because at the end of the day, Jules and I talk about on this show, Black Wall Street and how we built mm-hmm. that self-sustaining community and how that was ripped and taken from us. So my attitude and energy towards anyone that's going to look at this and say, oh, well, you know, well, how, well why do they need this? And, and they're not going to do anything. With, it doesn't matter. No matter. Right. It don't matter. This country has to pay for its, its debts. This country has to pay for its crimes. It can't continue to try to hide behind its ugly history. And that's what we talk a lot about a lot on this damn show. One other point that I wanted to make real quick, man, because we, we want to get into the, the Derek Chauvin trial because a lot of our listeners have asked for our, our views and points on that, so we'll get into that. But the last point I wanted to make on this family independent initiative, mm-hmm. they also, Jules, started a program in the city of Chicago. And they assist 500 different families. And these families receive about $400 each quarter. And so the families are going to be on this program for at least up to two years. And Good. some of the things that they talked about that have really helped a lot of these families is, as far as the people that have participated have not needed additional support to pay their bills. So they've been able to kind of pay things on their own. They've been able to prepare three daily meals for their family. The people have been able to actually help their kids and, and, and people like that finish high school and also be able to wipe away a lot of predatory debt. Now, that's another issue that we haven't talked about much on this show, 
But think about predatory debt and who the people that suffer and, and, and basically get fucked over with that. Yeah, Prez, we definitely got to talk about debt because that right there, those interest rates. Yep. I mean, who? We talk about credit. Mm-hmm. Your credit shot. Oh, my God. You you in debt for the <laughs> man. You in debt for a long time. Good luck. Tr- good luck trying to get a uh, an apartment. Good luck trying to get a car. Right. They, they sit over here talking about twenty four percent. You like twenty four percent? What you Al Capone? <laughs> right. He's <laughs> a dude. <laughs> man, that's dude. You hit it on the head right there, man. And you're sinking, mm-hmm. and you can get you can drown quick. Yeah. Those are things that, like you said, Prez, don't take what Everson did and say, okay, this is the blueprint. Build on what Everson did. That's what Thank we're you. saying. Thank Build you. on it. Yep. Okay, we we got this. The Everson brought the conversation to the forefront. Okay, here's what they did. Somebody can say, oh, you know what? We can do it this way. We can do it this way to better it. And that's what we're talking about. And 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 what you're talking about, how what that organization is doing, help people get out loans, help people uh, pay their mortgage rent. Man, that is what repar- that is what we need. A good handout, a great handout so people can get back on their feet they can do things for themselves. They're not always stuck. They're not always behind. They're not always lagging. And then, you know, we get people in that situation, in that environment, that mentality is just always negative. It's a terrible, vicious cycle. And you can break it by, by people who's caring and who show that they care, who show that they do it, they want to help by helping people out in this situation to help better them so they can get, so they can, and their family can have a better life. Man, that's, that's what reparation is all about to me. No, I hey, I got nothing to add on that. The only thing I would just say, and, and well, well said, I would just really like to see whenever they revisit or revamp this, mm-hmm. to take more of the idea of what this family independent institu- institute has done, okay. with basically helping out certain communities and things like that. Because they've even done it in Mississippi as well. So they've they're kind of doing a lot of things to try to give directly to the people that need it. But I also say this needs to be done in Tulsa, and they need to do that in Tulsa like immediately. <laughs> mm-hmm. so Evanston you know we we want to basically give you some some kudos in a sense for at least you know putting you know some of uh your skin in the game here but I would say we still need to kind of revamp this thing just a little bit because if you guys were going after reparations this isn't really it <laughs> but at least like you said Jules we can at least start the conversation mm-hmm. yes sir now we're on to the Derek Chauvin trial so, Oof. Jules, wow, it's been a lot of mm-hmm. shit that came out of this one this week. When I saw, like, just at the beginning of everything, I saw the jury. The jury's made up of uh, 15 people. Nine of them are, are, are Caucasian. And then I saw the courtroom in the courthouse. The concrete uh-huh. barriers, the, the the barbed wire. I said, whoa-wee. I said, boy, they are gearing yeah, up. right. Before I go into this, I was going to say for anybody... Because I know for me, I struggled with just this whole situation when it happened last summer. And this trial okay. still kind of brings back some of those painful thoughts and memories. And I will say, I refuse to watch that video anymore. And anybody out there, if you feel like that thing triggers you, don't feel the need that you have to watch. No, and there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with not watching that. Manage your trauma if you need to. Because there's going to be a lot of things that's going to happen in the course of this trial that's going to make you shake your head. Because... The one thing I'm going to say, Jules, and I'm going to kick this over to you because I want to get your thoughts on it, but that defense attorney, I know Mm -hmm. that he's got a job to do, right? But that man tried immediately to divert the attention away from what exactly actually happened 
in that video, he tried to tell people a couple things that really were problematic to me. The first, he tried to say that this cop, Shalvin, and his team had a threat that was growing in front of them. And they caught that threat to bystanders that were basically begging him to get off of Floyd, that were basically mm-hmm. calling the police on the police. <laughs> and he tried to really sell that to people and thought that people were going to buy that logic. The other point, he tried to put George Floyd on trial. George Floyd is not on trial. I've talked about this many times on this show. When their victim is a person that's of African-American descent, the justice system, the media, and sometimes even America, we like to paint that person as the perpetrator, as the person Mm -hmm. that is evil. And it's infuriating. Again, I don't care about George Floyd's health conditions. I don't care about the grades that he got when he was in high school. I don't care if he didn't pay for the bus that he, the bus ride that he took. I don't care what type of drugs he had in his system. I don't care about any of that. Because at the end of the day, someone put a knee on this man for nine minutes in a position where he couldn't breathe. That is what this thing is about for me. Jules, go for it. Prez, I'm going to tell a quick story and then I'm going to ask you a question. I think I was three years in on the department. I arrested this guy for PCP, I believe. Went to court, not guilty. I said, what the hell happened? <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. I, was, I, I believe I was righteous what I did. And I explained myself, testified under oath, and no probable cause. So what happened? What they was talking about was a pistol. I was on scene because it was somebody who was supposed to have a gun. But the description given was that guy, and I approached him, and he had PCP instead of a gun. Okay. So because he didn't have a gun, it was no probable cause. So with this trial, I told my wife, I said, you know what? This is a slam dunk. A slam dunk far as Derek Chauvin will be convicted. But people need to understand that defense attorney, defense attorney in general, will try to paint the picture that, yes, we will put Floyd on trial. And he will be turned out to be the offender in all this. And you have how many jurors you have? 15. You have, you have 15, right? So all you have to do is convince one of them. There's a possibility that, you know what? The officer was, was doing his job. And you can see for yourself, okay, wait a minute. I seen the video. They showed you bef- when, when he was in the store, after the store, at the car, and ultimately the, his, his, his demise. You see it and you're like, okay, what am I missing? Now we're talking about toxicology. Now we're talking about backgrounds. The defense, that's their job to do that. And, and it's, it's messed up how it is. It's character assassination. That's what it, it is. is. It is. But they up there, they're going to say a lot of things and spin this web and try to make it seem like, okay, Derek Chauvin, he had to do this because he was such an aggressor. They talked about his, his, his height. They talked about his, his structure. They talked about, well, he was on something. You know, all that plays a part. They're going to talk about the people that's around that was agitating everything. Like the officer's lives was on the line. They don't know what was going to happen. They're going to paint this picture to people and it's going to say, oh, man, they, they have no, no other, there was no other way. Watching this, I was watching some of the, the trial. And, and brother, I don't even know I can watch it anymore, man. <laughs> you had the store clerk blaming himself because he said only if he 
just didn't talk about, the, you know, tell about that $20 bill. Mm-hmm. Brother, don't blame yourself, man. Don't blame yourself. You got the paramedics crying, getting into it with the counselor. You got other witnesses there crying. This isn't good. The prosecutor is doing a, doing a great job because you got a lot of witnesses up there saying what happened and what was going on. They painting a great, even greater picture of what, re- what really happened. I know they won't talk about where the position where in Minneapolis you can do neck restraints. It's in their, in their book. And that's another thing they can point out. Well, it wasn't the officer. It was a training issue. There's a lot of stuff that's going to be said. There's going to be, it's going to be a lot of trickery and, and finagling with the words and stuff. And I just pray and hope that the jury pay attention, can understand. You can ask questions and really get an understanding of what happened. Because if not, one person is going to be like, you know what? I don't think he's guilty or not guilty or, or, or won't say he's guilty. And then he'd be exonerated. And that's scary. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that you said there that I want to unpack. The, the first part is when you talked about the store clerk and you talked about the paramedics. It's mm-hmm. really, to me, it hits home with me when I see more reaction out of those people that didn't put their knee on this man's neck, shoulder, whatever they want to call it, and killed him for over basically nine minutes, right? Now, mm-hmm. the prosecutor, again, as I mentioned, know that they have a job. But the fact that Shelvin, when he had his knee on this man's neck, back, shoulder area, whatever the case may be, this man had his hand in his fucking pocket. He did not look like he had a care in the fucking world. He had a smug well, look didn't. on his face. And the thing about it is, he didn't. while the defense is over here trying to tell us that these guys feared, that man didn't have no fear in his eyes. He didn't look like he even gave a fuck. He had no regard for this man's life. And that's the problem that I have with this situation because, Jules, you brought up a point where there are a lot of people that are sitting here telling you, well, George had drugs in his system, and that's why he died. Now, I'm going to tell anybody that's listening to this show, if you think that that's why that man died, then I want you to, to take some drugs and then let somebody <laughs> kneel on you for, for nine minutes and we'll see which thing kills you. Because you have to use common sense and logic. We know what killed George Floyd. Now, I'm going to go even deeper level with this whole thing. The systems that are in place in this country are a reason why George Floyd is not here with us today. The heavy-handed reaction to this man passing off a counterfeit bill. We're talking about a $20 fucking counterfeit bill. Jules, I got a story for you. When I was in college, there was a grocery store called Thompson's in town. One of the kids that I was basically hanging out with, doesn't matter what his background is. The point was, he had a counterfeit bill. I don't even think he even knew that he had the counterfeit bill. Do you know what happened in that situation to the three of us? Nothing. The store manager came over. He looked and inspected the bill. He said, we can't take this. We were like, well, what do you mean? Oh, well, we don't think that this is real money. All right. So then we leave. The kid goes, gets another $20 bill out of the ATM. We go back to the store. They look at that one. Okay, we can take this one. End of story. Dude, I was about to say, there was very heavy-handed because I'm like, half of the time, people, if you say, hey, man, oh, man, dude, oh, this fake, man. Oh, my bad, I didn't know. Half the time, you didn't know. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. You probably get past some. You're not really inspecting the money you you getting. So you probably, all right, take this thing and I'm going to pay for it. All they have to do is ask, hey, sir, you know what? This is this this is counterfeit. Do you have another, do you have any other money you can pay with? And if not, you can either, hey, man, I'll give you a pay. I'll give you a play. Just hit me next time. Or you have to put the stuff back. I think it's pretty simple. But to get the law involved, 
that was very heavy handed because this, this, the clerk was the cashier was saying he was, you know, he wasn't going to. That was a call on, on the owner. The owner did it. Yeah. Yeah. To call the police. And yeah, I mean, you could have handled it way better, way better. And so the, and this is the next point that I was going to make, Jules, as I mm-hmm. mentioned, the systems that we have in place in this country. Some people will say, oh, man, prayers, the systems are broken. No, son, they ain't broken. These systems were put in place for a reason. And these systems are working the way that some people want them to work. Now, I'm just going to tell you, policing, racism, the quote-unquote war on drugs, all of these systems empower individuals like Derek Chauvin to operate with impunity. And that's why in that picture where you see him with that smug look killing George Floyd, that man had not a worry in the world. He looked like how I look when I'm in the backyard, Jules, flipping a burger on the fucking grill. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. right. I get you. I get you. Or or strolling in the park or something. Right. I get you. <laughs> yeah. I ain't killing nothing. This man had no regard, bro. And you know one thing that came out of this week that I was really proud of, Jules? And I want to get your thoughts on it. But these uh-huh. members of law enforcement that testified against this punk-ass motherfucker, they called him out for that shit and said, you know what? No. That was unnecessary what you did to that man. And his damn defense attorney was trying to poke holes at that Lieutenant Zimmerman that went right. in there. Lieutenant exactly. Zimmerman, stand-up dude, man. He went up there and he represented. He was a knockout witness. And I really appreciated what? his honesty and his candor. Yeah, like I told you minutes ago, their job is to get you rattled, flip it to where you sit. You're going like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been in the stand plenty of times testifying against defense attorney. They try to spend it on you. And if you're not sharp, you'll drink the Kool-Aid. Because well, he, wasn't, he wasn't going. No, he wasn't going. Because everybody can look at that thing and, and see what happened. Right. Everybody I talked to on my uh, that I work with said, no, no, that was uncalled for, unnecessary. And frankly, scratch our heads because what the, what the hell are you doing? The man is cuffed. You ain't need to do anything else. Okay, if he's claustrophobic and don't want to get in the car, okay, you call for a wagon. You're getting something bigger. I mean, it's simple. To me, it is. Like you said, man, good job for those, uh, good job for the, the law enforcement director file that was on there that testified and, and said, like, no, no, we are not agreeing with that. That was uncalled for. Yeah, because at the end of the day, this guy is probably one of the more senior people in that whole force. And he even talked about the fact of the training that they tried to use as basically being one of the, the excuses for him. And they said, no. That's not how that training even goes. Also, one of the things that you said in a previous episode, Jules, is you talked about in your own role, once the cuff goes on, you said, what, is it game over, right? Game over. That's it. He's no longer a threat. You know, Mm -hmm. his hands is cuffed. Now, if he's like Jackie Chan or somebody can do like some cyclone kicks or something like that, then you got another another problem. For nine times out of ten. No, them cuffs go on. Okay, it's over. There's no more hidden. There's no more, you know, anything like that. He He's good. You sit him down, you get him in the car or the wagon, and you transport him. That's it. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought about, Jules, and this is something that you and I talked about off podcast, is the fact that Chauvin and George Floyd both worked at the same nightclub. So a lot of people realized that George Floyd was a bouncer at the nightclub, and Derek Chauvin I guess, sat in his patrol car and kind of patrolled the outer perimeters of it. So I wonder if these two ever interacted with each other. Because when I saw that situation, the way Derek Chauvin was so aggressive in that situation, I wondered, 
man, is there something else here that we don't know about? Right. Is there some some hidden hidden altercation transpired because that don't make any sense of what happened. Mm-hmm. If you guys work at the same spot, I'm pretty sure you guys know each other. Of course. I'm pretty of sure you course. know each other. Ran yeah. across each other, said what's up, in the john or whatever. Okay. So what happened? Like, brother, don't you say, oh, man, this dude from the nightclub. Mm-hmm. That should, you, have, you already have a report with George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me smooth this out. Okay, let me holler. Let, hey, let me holler at him. Hey, man, I, I'll take care of it. Like, what it is, $20? Okay, hell, here, here's $20. You know, hit me later. Prayers to your point. Was there a deeper interaction with them two before this happened? Yeah, and I wonder. And that's mm-hmm. something that I haven't heard a lot of discussion on. But you can't tell me that these two never crossed paths. At, like you said, whether it's passing at the nightclub, going to the restroom. Right. Whatever. Right. So I just feel like there could be something deeper at play here. But I just want to salute, like I said, the members of, of the law enforcement that stepped up in this situation. Because I'll tell you, Jules. I've always definitely held everybody accountable, especially when it comes to law enforcement. Because when I see this situation happening with George Floyd, this situation didn't need to happen. It was too heavy-handed. But those senior police officers testifying against their own, I thought that was a step in the right direction. We talked about that with the reparations. Well, I was proud of this. Because what it showed to me is the justice wall to these individuals was much more important than the blue one. And that's what I want more people that wear that badge to do. So earlier when I said, if you see something, do something, that ain't just for mm-hmm. us. That's for everybody. So those individuals mm-hmm. that sat back and watched what Chauvin did in law enforcement in that moment. They sat back and watched what he did to George Floyd and none of them intervened or did anything. Right, that, right, that, right In that right. situation, Jules, that was problematic to me. Derek Chauvin... I'm not even going to waste any more energy on bringing his name up anymore, but anybody that listens to this show obviously knows what I think about him as a person. He's a fucking piece of shit, but I am very proud of what I saw from the law enforcement community in Minneapolis. The individuals that testified, they were sharp, they were prepared, they were honest, and I think that their testimony was damning against what Chauvin's attorney was trying to do up there. Exactly. His chest up there. You're playing chess now, and it's for somebody, you know, because of somebody's life. I get into a lot of debates with people just out in the streets or whatever the case may be. If you ask me, there is no code of silence because things happen. Civilians will not know about it, but there's people, officers that that tell on all the officers or do things. So there's no this this big this big blue or, the, or this code of silence. What you seen right there was what you know they 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 spoke the truth, and that's. And and that's all they did. It happens a lot. It's just, unfortunately, you you hear about things where there have been cover-up, and that's taken magnifying and saying, well, that's pretty much the departments nationwide in general, which is is not. I would say this. I would be careful with saying that there isn't that, and I know that you are in law enforcement. That's why why I can speak on it. That's why I can speak on it. But I will say this. I can also speak on it because I have basically a family of people that are in legal uh, type of backgrounds. And there's been many cases on that. And there's a lot of evidence that's come out that's spoken like counter to what you're saying there. So I would just say I would just be careful with that. And just for our audience, do your own research when it comes to that type of situation. But for this trial itself, I'm just glad that those people stepped up in this situation here. But I would just say Mm -hmm. everybody do your own research, make your own uh, assumptions when it comes to, you know, that issue there. 
Yeah, make your own. Hey, make your own substance. I yep. can't. I, I I can speak. Like I say, you 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 spoke with your people. That's why I can speak on what what I can speak on. Yeah. Oh, hey, we can always do another episode, man. And I could tell you the evidence that I have at my disposal that kind of speaks counter. I just didn't want to air you out on this episode, mm. but I would just say just just be careful when it comes to that subject there because there's a lot of stuff mm. out there, and I know you are in it, and I ain't gonna disrespect what you do every day, but I would just say hey, there's some things that, there's some you, things that you. happen that we just want to be careful what we're disseminating to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what I speak of is is like I say, it's in, in whole I'm speaking of. There, like I say, there may be things here and there, but uh, collectively, for me, there's there's no code of what people talk about. And and that's fair. I would say, yeah, that that's fair to speak. Yeah, I know your heart. I know where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. But, but there's some mm-hmm. cases out there, brother. I'm telling you, there's some cases. And so right, yeah. right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. no, 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 no. I get what you're saying. But when people, with, that's why, why when I try to tell people, yeah, you have cases. But collectively, it, there's no, there's no, uh, this code. Because collectively, then everybody's on the tape, which is not true. Got you 100% there, my man. So, mm-hmm. hey, we'll see what happens with the rest of this trial. Without further ado, we got our brother A-Dub, my co-host from the Bear Central's podcast, mm-hmm. pulling up with us today. A-Dub, talk to him. What's happening, everyone? What's happening? Prez, Jules, what's going on, fellas? <laughs> oh, oh big A-Dub. Hey, man, what's going on with you guys? Man, dude, you know what we're doing over here, the pulling back the curtain thing, over here chopping it up, man. We was over here talking about that damn trial, and, you know, we don't have to trace that anymore, mm-hmm. but that dude, Chauvin, man, is a bitch-ass motherfucker, man, and I hope he gets what's coming to him. <laughs> 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 oh, hey, yeah. Hey, 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 you and the, hey, you and everybody in this world, because, hey, we can have another summer like last year, man. No, I don't want that. I don't want that at uh-uh. all. I don't want that at and all. And if this oh, man, sir. and if this man go free, you talking about not guilty? My God, hey, hey, I'm going, I'm going to Puerto Rico somewhere. <laughs> you, we all going somewhere. Get off the grid, man. Yeah. My hey, mental, look, my my mental health can't take another uh, 2020 summer, brothers. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> but man, AW, you good over there, man? Yes, sir, man. I'm good over here, man. It's good hearing you guys talk about that case, man. That's a very tough one there. I mean, it's very obvious to us that he should be going to jail. and should be in jail. No question mm-hmm. there, but mm-hmm. we'll see what the case says, what happens throughout the, the trial, but there's no way this guy should walk a free man. I don't think so either, man. But hey, audience, the nuts and bolts of this episode is we're going to touch on the Rooney Rule. And so we brought A-Dub into discussion because A-Dub is my co-host on the Bears Central's podcast. That's what we talk about all things NFL and the Chicago Bears. But man, I wanted to revisit this topic because loyal listeners of this show probably remember in season one, that we did a, a, an episode on the Rooney Rule. We talked about our thoughts on it. But I thought in this climate, it was probably a really good idea to revisit it. Now, before I kick this over to A-Dub and Jules to just kind of give their, their piece on this, I want to make sure that our audience that doesn't understand what this rule is understands a little bit more about it. So what this policy does is the NFL requires its teams to interview ethnic minority candidates for head coaching and senior football positions. So it's kind of like in their way, an affirmative action type of thing that they're trying to put into place. There's no quota for hiring or or, or based on giving a preference to a minority, but it's only an interviewing quota. And they established this back in 2003. The rule was named after Dan Rooney. Why that's important Mm -hmm. is because he's the former owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he was the chairman of the league's diversity committee. And so he did a lot of work behind the scenes to ensure that the league was a little bit more diverse in what happens when it comes to people of color. So they created 
this Rooney rule in reaction to the 2002 firings of Tony Dungy, Dennis Green. At the time, when Dungy was fired, he had a winning record. And Dennis Green only had one losing season in 10 seasons. It was very problematic to a lot of people because they wondered, well, what the hell is going on here? So Johnny Cochran and some other civil rights attorneys, they got involved. They released the study, and it showed that a lot of these black head coaches, despite whatever their record was, they were less likely to be hired and more likely to be fired than coaches of the other races. That is why we wanted to revisit this episode here today, because I wanted to get the fellas' thoughts on, now it's been a year since we've done this episode. I want to see how everybody's still feeling about this Rooney Rule, and I want to just kind of get your thoughts on it. So, A-Dub, I'm going to kick it over to you. When you think about this Rooney Rule, what are some of your initial thoughts on it, and what is an idea that you have that we can improve this Rooney Rule? Yeah, uh, Press, thanks for, uh, first of all, having me on the show, and then, two to answer, answer your question. Um, I still think that Rooney Rule needs to continue to evolve. I think what they have in there, like you say, you hit a couple of things already about the rule itself, but it requires you to interview what two minority candidates now for those particular roles, the head mm-hmm. coaching, and of course, the front office, right, to do that. And that involves, of course, females and minorities um, in, 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 in that process. So they try to do some things with evolving it from going from one to now to two. And, and I think they've done some changes. That's one of the changes that happened last year in November of 2020. So I give them credit for trying to evolve it, right, of, the, of their rule. But again, it's still a BS rule because the thing is, it doesn't guarantee you to hire someone, right? You don't have to hire anyone. So I do applaud the fact they make some improvements to it. But the fact is, that doesn't change the fact that, hey, these owners may still have that mindset of what particular candidate who they want, who they want to hire. And that person may not necessarily mm-hmm. be an African-American. So for me, that's a cause for concern, a cause of concern, because you still have these people who are connected, right? Who are Caucasian, who are connected to each other in some form or fashion, who have been hired for particular roles that a lot of us minorities probably cannot get whether we interview for the role or not. Hey, hey Dub, you know, what, I'm, what I think will make this rule actually work is sad to say, but it's like you said, it gives you, it gives the owner, it, you get that interview, okay? Like you said, they, uh, they jumped it from one candidate to two candidates. But okay, you can make it three or four candidates, but if you're not hiring these people, then we're good, we're damn good. What's good is it, right? Right. So what to make this thing actually work you need affirmative action in a way, which, which is terrible, which is terrible because it's like, damn, you get a lot of good, great candidates and these coaches in coaching, and you mean to tell me you can't pick these people to, to coach your, your, your football team? So he's like, man, okay, instead of this Rooney Rule, we need the Rooney Rule 2.0 where, hey, instead of interview, then you know what? You must hire, you know, this, you know, a certain amount of uh, minorities or, or black coaches, whatever you want to call them. And Jules, I agree with you from that perspective because that's my mindset with it. What I think could possibly help is 70% of the league, around 30% is probably minorities. To me, right. I think the league should represent 70%, <laughs> at least 30% mm-hmm. of the hires or somewhere it, near, right? It should be somewhere where it, can exactly. be, where it can be balanced. So you ask me, 30% should be 70%. If it's 30% African-Americans or minorities in the, in, the, in the population, that should represent 70% of that area of coaching front office. In the front office, hey, 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 Dub. I don't know, man. They're gonna be like, no, nah, we, hey, we don't want that. We don't want that voice. We don't want that Dub voice on there, man. You trying to take <laughs> over the game, man? They're like, you trying to take over it, man? <laughs> hey, look, man. Hey, look. Hey, look. I was just saying, man. You want that many people in that population? You gotta do something about it. I mean, the the, the percentage we have right now is just not good enough as it is. You know, 
Like uh-huh. I said, okay, if 70% is too high, right? That's just me leaning so far on the high end. Okay, we can tone it down a little bit. How about 30% then? Yeah, I'm jiving. I'll take that right, then. I'm <laughs> right, I'm jiving with you, man. I'm jiving with you, man. I'm just joking, man. Hey, man, hey, you hit it on the head, though, man. 70% or plus is African-American or minorities, then the front staff and coaching should represent that. Hey, man, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But you know, of course, that league is predominantly, in that front office, the owners in that, that front office, it's predominantly white, and they want to have they want to have control and keep that power and keep that money and stuff like that. Where okay, we give them a little taste, but we ain't too quickly to open up the doors, to open up the reins big time. But right, we if you do Rooney Rule two point where they say, hey, we need to get these, we need to get minorities in these front offices and GMs and and head coaching uh, jobs, then oh yeah, you're gonna see a change in uh, NFL. Right. And then the thing is, I want to add to this, fellas, is it's not just about, you know, um, diversity and inclusion. To me, it's also that other piece that's been added to this is equity. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of my notice, we don't have that mm-hmm. equity that's involved in this whole process. And I think also, to me, that is that yeah. is very concerning, very concerning from the league. They put these things in and it's not enough. So they got to do better. I understand we've been they've been trying to evolve a little bit better than what they did. I think one of the things they added, Perez and Jules, is they add the fact that, you know, if someone as part of the, I guess, what do you call it, the bench, right? Who's hired from somebody else's organization who was on a bench to be a GM or so, and you go to someone else's organization, right, and get hired for those GM roles, you get the incentive of actually having to draft, right, in the third round. I think that's cool, but again, not enough, right? There's more to this whole thing from an equity standpoint that they can do a lot better. And I think that the league has really dropped the ball on that, but I hope that Roger Goodell and others can really, you know, think about that part, how we can increase that. Because again, we don't have enough minority owners. We don't have enough minorities in positions. It's just so much that we're, we're lacking minority, minority visibility. They got to change all that in the culture of it. Mm-hmm. Do, we, do we have a minority owner in the NFL? Uh, I don't think we even have one. Yeah. So I, I think I we, I think I, we, yeah, I think I, we have one person. I can't remember I his name. Yeah, one person. Oh, the, the guy from the, uh, the Jaguars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. But he's not African-American. But yeah, he's still a minority oh, owner. Right. Yep. The one thing that I had, because man, you guys definitely, I, I love the way that this, this conversation started. That was awesome stuff there. One thing that I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on. So Adel brought up the point of the draft compensation that the, that they added into the rule. Now, me, my personal opinion about that, I hated that. Because if I have to give you a sweetener for you to understand that your damn mm-hmm. locker rooms and these ownership groups and the, the executive teams need to be diverse, then that's a bigger problem. <laughs> but right, what are your thoughts there on that piece? But then also, I wanted to throw one thing out there for you guys to kind of go back and forth on. One idea that I had that I think could kind of help this situation is to apply the rule to office of coordinator positions. Because I think then that takes away the excuse for these individuals to not be overlooked. Because if you look at it, a lot of these head coaching positions that happen in the league, there's guys that are coming from the college ranks that are jumping over people that have never had NFL mm-hmm. experience that are getting these jobs. I just want to get you guys' thoughts on that because I think if we can start maybe getting more of our minority candidates that are trying to come through the ranks and we start getting them more offensive coordinator positions, if we could get them in those type of roles, then it takes away the excuse of, well, you know, the person never served in this role. They never called plays. No, no, they've been calling plays. Like our brother Eric B. Enemy that they keep passing over. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Man. Yeah. Yeah. You scratch your head on that one. Like this brother should be head coach somewhere, some team. I really thought Houston was going to take him, but, you know, but then they're getting um, David. So, 
Oh, yeah, David Culley. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? Stuff like that, man. I say, you know, things happen for a reason. He's going to get on the team. He's, he's going to get his share. He's going to get his. When he do, look out. That team is going going places, wherever team that is. Maybe the Bears. <laughs> and look, look, look. I think what you're going at, the question you brought there, Prez, about the offensive coordinators, right? That's a good start of getting more minorities in, 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 in that role. There are so many guys who I looked at, you know, um, who, who are good offensive coordinators who could possibly be head coaches, whatever, who could probably move up in the ranks. And I know there are so many coaches out there who probably want to go back to that, to that ramp. I mean, you got Jim Caldwell, right? Ty Bowles is also defensive coordinator. I mean, these are so many guys out there right now who could be, you know, um, ready for an offensive coordinator. For example, um, I think Elliott from Clemson, right? He's the offensive coordinator. I mean, a guy like him can come up in the ranks, right? Come to the NFL and, and be an offensive coordinator. There are so many guys, you know, um, who I think they're just out there right now that could do very well, you know? James Franklin, I think he's another guy, you know? I think he's yeah. out of Penn State. Mm-hmm. Also come to the ranks in, in, in the NFL and do good. So you're talking about these other young guys who are Caucasian, who are getting opportunity. Why not some of these African-Americans, man, who are also very good at what they do, can come up in the ranks and can come into the NFL and I think would do a very solid, good job there. So, so I think that we need to target those guys. One quick thing I wanted to, to add before Jules gets in on this. So you brought up the names of Caldwell and Todd Bowles. Now, I want our audience to think about these individuals. They both had head coaching jobs as African-American coaches. They both were fired from those roles. And in the case of Todd Bowles, he didn't even really feel like, it didn't even feel like he got a fair shake. He was coaching the fucking New York Jets. Nobody's right. going to be successful coaching that fucking team. Yeah. Nah. Set up for failure. Set, Set up for failure. And then what does he do, mm-hmm. guys? He goes down there to Tampa Bay, and that defense, what did they do in the Super Bowl? Shut them down. They shut them down. <laughs> <laughs> shut them down. <laughs> they they had your boy Patrick Mahomes out there shaking his head and running for his fucking life. That was a Agreed. top bowls defense. Man, that team there was aggressive. Hey, after that first quarter, they made adjustments. That was it. That defense, I mean, was strong based upon what Bulls, uh, what Todd did. And, and the thing is, a guy like him who's not coaching or can't get a head coaching job is concerning. I know you also mentioned beating me on from KC's uh, press. That was a great one, you know? And the reason why that, the one you mentioned his name around the, for him, the offense coordinator for the KC's, why that's so important to mention his name because you remember press years ago, right? I want you to follow me this press with Josh McDaniels, right? For the Patriots, right? Yep. Josh McDaniels were looked after. People were salty. People were trying to get him for many years, Prez, to get him to become their uh, coordinator coach, right? For many yep. years, they yep. were trying to get him. Mm-hmm. Caucasian guy. Well, why can't the coach, the offensive coordinator for the KCs, get that same respect? Especially since he's coaching one of the best offenses in the damn league. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And he's been around Patrick Mahomes, MVP, right? The kid. King is great. He's been around. He's been around a lot of success these past couple of years. And doesn't like they're going to slow down again this year. Looks like Casey is going to be right there again this coming season. So it's like, why right. is this guy right. still being overlooked? And he's been around success and know what it looks like. And he's been a good coach as well with under Andy Reid. So it's like, come on now, this guy come from a great culture. These are guys you cannot continue to overlook. And I'm just going to, I'm going to be petty here. The Bears sure signed uh, one of them damn coaches that was under Andy Reid. They, we got the wrong motherfucking one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, hey, Prez, hey, Prez, hey, Prez, hey, dude. I, I, I had read this and I laughed so hard because I know you guys hate this. And Prez, you especially said, put down that cost oh, selection. That, that Denny's menu? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why did I read 
why did I read that he's going to be calling the plays for this season coming up? All I'm going to say here is this. <laughs> if anybody want to hear some raw takes, listen to episode 45 of the Bear Central's podcast. We go in. All Matthew the way Nag- in. Ma- Matthew Nagy, stop ruining our fucking team. That's all I'm going to say. There you go. You heard it from prayers. That's enough. Tune in to the episode, episode 45. You will get it all. You'll get it all. I'm telling you right now. You'll get mm-hmm. it all from prayers, from prayers and A-Dub. You'll get it. But Jules, that was a hell of a point, man, because a lot of people hated that play calling situation for Nagy. But let's stay on this just for one quick second here. Now, uh-huh. we, we got Matt Nagy. He was given this opportunity for the Chicago Bears. The enemy. Now, he replaced Matt Nagy as the OC. The offense still is done better. Or it's done well, but I think it's even taken a step up from what Nagy did with that, that position. When you look at Eric Bieniemy, you have people that started putting out the little rumors. He doesn't interview well. He doesn't have communication skills. And to me, Jules, this is what we talk about on the show, where we talk about that coded language, how they use certain type of things to kind of basically demean and kind of chip away at us. And it's taking away this man's credibility when you try to say that he doesn't communicate well. Well, what's going on with his communication? Because it sure seems like Patrick Mahomes knows how to call plays and run that offense. Right. You know what? Those are them things that keep a brother down. That's that thing. That's that thing to just keep it down and keep you in your place. What it is, you can't control this man. You're going to get this man a team, and he's going to run it how you see fit. And he ain't the type that you're going to just come in and try to muscle and say, hey, I want you to do it this way. No, this brother right here, he's going to coach this team. He's going to coach it the way he want to do it. You want results. This brother can give you results. That's what you're paying this man, and that's why you're putting him in these positions. But see, is that the reason that you can't control him? Or are you saying that he doesn't interview well? Who cares? He's a damn coach. But here's the thing. Are you scared of that? Or are you scared that these brothers in these head coach positions is going to look like, these, these these now these quarterback positions you get brothers in these quarterback positions it's just killing the game is it is that what we scared of is that the question yeah, because we don't, we don't know yeah we don't know right because that needs that needs to be be addressed and say hey a guy like Benjamin should have a head coach position yep should have been at it should have been at it hey Dale like you said with Josh McDaniel people's killing for this man yep why because he's on the Belichick because you have success for uh, mm. uh, 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 New England okay all right cool. But Kansas City is also having that same success. That's right. Exactly. That's right. That's so right. what, what we talk, people, what we talking about now, and, and we and we can go back to we just go we keep going back to the same song and dance, and it's about and it's about race. <laughs> I mean, hey, okay, no. praise. I'm no. get off it. Oh, oh, no, shit. Hey, you was going, and I agree with that because they offered Jack Daniels a job. He took the job, then turned it down, and went back yep. to New England. Yep. Went back, right. Went back. Went back to dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Shit, no, man, the, I agree with you guys. The, the enemy can't even get a return call. <laughs> Shit. And that's sad. That's very sad, man. I mean, the thing about it, he interviewed for several positions, man. That Cardinal, that he interviewed for the Packers position, the Browns position. I mean, the Giants position. This guy been out there interviewing, you know? And still, no one said, hey, this would be the right guy for our, for our um, organization. It's sad. It really is. Because you're right, Jules, you hit on something very critical about the fact that oh, they talk about his communication skills being a gap. Guess what? What's the most important What's the most important thing? Results, right? Like you all said, results. Results. This guy has gotten results. results. He has gotten results. Yep. So whatever that communication is you all looking at or whatever that's you're concerned about, that's not it. This guy got 90% of everything else that meet the criteria. No one's, no one's hey, going to come hey, into hey, the role 100%. Hey, hey, dude, let me ask you something. 
you sit down in the interview with uh, Bill Belichick. How, how that interview gonna go? <laughs> Cause the man dry to me, man. Right. <laughs> the man dry to me. How he how he acted on the po- the uh, 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 the post games interview and stuff like. It's like, brother, come on, man. Nobody's that upset. God damn. <laughs> he just won. He just won. You know what I'm saying? He just just disgruntled. You're right. He just won. He won the Super Bowl, and he just yeah, you know. Man, goddamn, talk, man. <laughs> but, I, I wonder. Uh, I wonder if that's an act. Cause you, nobody can be that damn unhappy. I'm like, God, do you have any joy, bro? Right, right, <laughs> right. He's never happy. I mean, you want set, you want, you want six, uh, six plus a Super Bowl. You got you the coach of the year. Yeah, 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 yeah. You built the dynasty. You got a young wife. You got millions. You what, 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 what the hell? Your head coach, man. Give, hey, give me no problem, bro. Give me no problems. Yeah, that he the type of person he you say all those things. He'll say, but it rained today. Right. <laughs> All right. Right. <laughs> and think about it. The communication, right? It, his, his nonverbal communication is atrocious. But no one talks about that, right? When you talk about coaching. I mean, come on, man. The excuses. You ask me, it's a lot of excuses being thrown out there. And yep. to me, I, I don't, I'm not buying any of the excuses. I'm over it. Also, too, let's just call it a spade a spade here. You got a lot of these idiot coaches that come out here and they lather themselves up and they start, you know, getting all fired up and excited. Like, how many times is Matt Nagy talking about how he's so fired up? Nobody cares about your fired up. Your office is trash, bro. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the fuck you fired up for? Exactly. You fired up, huh? You got a terrible plan, man. Your plan isn't working. So to yeah. me, I don't care how you communicate. Your communication's not that great, whatever. As long as you got a good plan and order to execute that plan, I'm fine with that. You know how to get guys to be ready for the game? I'm fine with that. So, to me, they're mm-hmm. looking at the wrong thing, the wrong thing, Jules and Prince. And let's think about one situation that Deshaun Watson, I know that's a that's a word that, you know, people don't want to really touch on right now, but I'm going to say this. He asked his organization to interview Bianami. I don't uh-huh. even know if they did or not. Yeah, I'm not, sure. I'm not sure either. Right, I didn't read anything on that. And they said that that was the last straw for him, and that's why he basically said he wanted out of there because he wanted to have some involvement with that coaching decision. And this was a guy, cause he talked to Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes said, Hey, this dude's been ready. Right. <laughs> you know, right. You know? <laughs> he got the tools, man. He got the tools. And I think you're right. And that is what pissed Deshaun Watson off. That's what's the star, right? That became why he became disgruntled. Really? Right. That was the beginning of that. But you're right, Perez. You want somebody who, you know, who have done the job very well. Mm-hmm. Eric has done the job extremely well. And has a good, you know, from people out there who says how great he is. And you tell me that this mm-hmm. guy couldn't be the job of the Houston Texans? Really? The guy got the criteria. He meets it. All of it. There's no one thing, one hole in yeah. his resume that says, hey, this guy couldn't do the job very well. He couldn't be good for our quarterback. The quarterback wanted him. <laughs> right. Your right. franchise right. quarterback. Your franchise quarterback. And you got to look at last year when they get rid of his, 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 number, one, his number one receiver. That's right. And now he asking, hey, listen, let, let, let's get there. And you still not. So he like, listen, you ain't, hey, y'all ain't paying attention to me, man. I, I can do better someplace else. Jules, right. that's, that's a hell of a point because he was a good <laughs> soldier about that. Y'all traded away his top guy. Right. For nothing. You, they got nothing back in return. They got a pack of, uh, uh, of, of cool cigarettes and a, and a 25 cent juice. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> pack That's of cools. Yeah, hey, pack hey, of cools. Pack of cools, they're all loose squares. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Y'all stupid, boy. <laughs> but the one thing I was going to ask you guys, because you guys have brought up so many things, and I hope the audience is keeping up because y'all are dropping like bomb after bomb here, and I love this episode. One thing, though, fellas, slow it down for our audience real quick and just tell them each, tell them why you guys think that there's such a lack of diversity. So we kind of covered a lot of things. But why do you think that there's a lack of diversity, not even just in that coaching rank, but in the executive rooms? Well, why do you think that that exists in the NFL? I think it exists based on the fact that a lot of these guys have relationships with each other. They're part of their culture. They're part of the comfort zone. Think about some of the guys they've hired. They got people who've been hired who are family relatives to them, right? Mm. And no one's thought about looking outside the box of that and saying, hey, this is too close to home here. Let's look outside some other talent that people can bring things from outside, right? Culturally, whatever, maybe experience, all those different things. And they have not done that. A lot of these times you see these NFL teams look at relationships, right? They look at, oh, who knows who, who knows who? And guess what? You're not part of that, that team, that core group who knows these individuals. And you, you find out a lot of times right, that these guys have not stepped, again, stepped outside that box to look at people outside of that, right? Who can give us something different, who are not even in our in our group, right? Who doesn't even have the same skills as that we have? Who can give us something valuable that we can look at? And you find that a lot of that happens, Chris, in the NFL, just like it is when you think about roles when you come down in the, in the corporate world, right? A lot mm-hmm. of times they don't look, they don't look at uh, military folks with background, right? They look at people who have similar skill sets who worked at this sort of corporation versus that corporation, but not look at a lot of people in the military, right? That's a lack of right there diversity from that standpoint. So again, you got to get outside your way. I think the NFL has also fallen to that same category where they have not, again, stepped outside of that box. These owners have not stepped outside that box to diversify their portfolio. I hear you there. Man, hey, 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 listen. Hey, hey, Doug, hey, hey, you said my phone there. Mine's going to be short and sweet and to the point. There's a lack of diversity on these coaching positions in front of us because there's a lack of diversity in ownership. Simply put. Mm-hmm. Simply put. You get some, you get some minority ownerships, then you can then you can start then you start seeing more black more and more black head coaches or minority head coaches GMs wherever type of coaches there is. The thing is getting in those positions because like you say you hit on the head a dub Chicago Bears ownership, Holly, uh, Papa family. Hollis, right? It's family. The Bears is what one hundred and what one hundred and one hundred one hundred and one years. It's about to be one hundred and two next year. One hundred and two next year. The daughter is 98 or something like that. So mm-hmm. she's been around and been had her hands in that organization for almost a century. Yeah. And like you said, they do other organizations like that. They pass down to the families or or wherever the case may be. And instead of having another person with a fresh idea, a new face, minority, of course, to come in and kind of change the dynamics of this organization, it still stay in the family. And that's a problem too. You touched on something right there, and I'm about to go all the way in real quick. So, Uh-oh. Jules, thank okay. you so much for that point. So that goes back to what we were talking about earlier in this episode when it comes to reparations. Our community had its wealth stripped from it. Now, Jules just talked about the McCaskey family. Who's the hierarchy of that? It's George Hallis. That money has been passed down in that family from generation to generation to generation. That is generational wealth. That doesn't exist in this community. So, the fact of the matter is, we don't even get accepted to even have a seat at this NFL table because guess what? Who's got all them kind of hundreds of millions of dollars to even buy a team? Who even has access to even get into those rooms? You see what Jay-Z's trying to do? He's trying right. to cozy up with the right. NFL, and they still ain't giving him a time of day. Right. It's levels to this shit. Chris, that is deep, man. And that goes back to diversity, equity, mm-hmm. and inclusion. 
we're not part of it. We haven't been part of that. So they need to change that whole idea, that whole mindset from ownership all the way down, right? From the whole platform, from the from the whole platform, the whole structure of the NFL needs to embrace that. There's African-Americans that have built your league that have making you rich beyond rich that's helping your family have this generational wealth. Uh-huh. But as A-Dub mentioned, there's no equity for us. We get broken up. A lot of these African-American players and players of all races, I, I don't want to paint a broad brush, but right. you got to think about how damaging this sport is. The NFL is a dangerous sport. There's people, brains and stuff that are just being splattered every time they step on that field. We see CTE and what is done to these players. These players' families mm-hmm. will never recover from that. People were putting their lives on the line for this sport. What are we getting in return? That's it. Well, no, you make a good point, Perez, yeah. because the thing yeah, is, you, we get right. a lot of, we, we hit with all the concussion stuff, right? You heard all the scandals around that part of it. Again, <laughs> a lot of players have left this game injured, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. a lot of things happen to a lot of our players, right? From that standpoint. And it's like, really, we have not done enough overall for these communities. No, not at all. Now, there is a coaching fellowship program that Bill Walsh started. And we talked about this last year on the show. Bill Walsh started this program because he saw the lack of diversity that was taking place in NFL. So he would offer up opportunities for diverse candidates to come in to the San Francisco 49ers camps every year to get exposure to training camps and the different offseason workout programs. And so that program now has been pushed out to other teams. And it's been going on for about 30 years now. Now, that's a start. But a point that A-Dub made, and I want you guys to kind of stew on this one for a second. You talked about access. Now, when I think about that, how does the young up-and-coming minority candidate even get on the radar? Because as A-Dub mentioned, if these coaches, a lot of times they'll hire somebody because it's a friend of a friend kind of thing, because you know how that stuff works. Right, right. Look at how the, the Bears operate, guys. They always hire somebody that has a connection with someone that previously worked with this person. So it's all about the connections. So how does that mm. up-and-coming minority candidate, fellas, how do they get into that loop where it's like, hey, Coach Smith over here, oh, man, he's like 30, but, man, he's he's up-and-coming. How do we get his name in the conversation? I think the names have to go out there by someone had to refer refer these people because that's that's the only way. Or you outshine the competition so much, you make so much of a noise that they have to see you. Like Prez was saying, they already have done that. They already have outshined the competition right. already. People can see that already. It's very obvious. Mm-hmm. The key factor is, is having people who are supporting you on that, right? The big allies. We don't have enough allies in, when it comes right, to right. the NFL. So yeah, I don't yeah. care if you white, black, or pink, whatever. Mm-hmm. doesn't make a difference. It's about allyship. And yep. to me, these right. people in power have not looked at minorities as part of the allies, right? So that guy doesn't get seen because guess what? We're not looking at him. Mm-hmm. They're not viewing him as an ally. They're not looking for, oh, this guy's great. We can bring him aboard. They're looking at, oh, let's see who we know, who's on my team know, who can possibly trust, and not give a guy like him who's very good already a fair chance. So they're not looking at that. So I think allyship is huge. Do you make this guy an ally? And that's what was missing. We don't have enough people on these committees to really be able to say, hey, mm-hmm. that guy's good. Let's bring him aboard. Let's check him out. Let's, let's go watch him. Let's go do all these things that we would do for anyone who we want. And that's that's kind of what I was wondering what you guys thought, because one of the ideas that I had is put together a pipeline of candidates. Right. And I don't care that the person's black or whatever, but there should be 
a diverse group of candidates altogether. But right. we shouldn't be jumping over these individuals that are up and coming for some kid that's in college that never had NFL experience. That's my problem. Because right. you're jumping right. over people every day. I mean, look at Urban Meyer. He left Ohio State because he said that he was done with coaching. He kicked it for two years, and now he got a job with the Jaguars. <laughs> Shit, come on. Right. So when I think about it, a pipeline of candidates that when they have these league meetings, that these individuals get invited there. So they get FaceTime with these executives, with these coaches. They can see firsthand how this stuff works. But also, too, we all know from our various professions that sometimes it takes you being in a room with someone having a conversation with them, looking somebody in the eye, shaking their hands, getting to know somebody for them to take away any sort of preconceived notions they have about you. Mm-hmm. But then they also learn mm-hmm. about what you may be able to provide a value to them. That can kind of help, I think, improve some of these situations where these coaches are marginalized. Yeah, that's a good point there, uh, Press, because that's how the game of life is work, networking and, and getting along with the right people. Mm-hmm. Like you just said, how you go around and make yourself noticeable. They see you. You guys have been saying it. They see you. They know what you can do. Now it's about allies and build a network and say, hey, you know what? Have that person to talk for you and put you in and say, hey, listen, look, why don't we give, why don't we give my man a shot? Why don't we give A-Dub a shot? And then A-Dub, what you do, you play the game. You're going around these people. Shake. Let them get to know you. Know what you're about and stuff like that. One person may say, you know what? Okay, cool. Cool. Let's do it. So on the other hand, these coaches and stuff like that, unfortunately, they know how to play the game. Or they, they know how to play the game on the field and stuff. It's just unfortunate you got to know how to play the game of life, too, where, you, you know, you're saying you, you know, you're you getting around these people and, you know, kind of kind of sell yourself. That's all. And one thing I want to say, I want to piggyback on what something Fred said about, you know, when you talk about having a diverse pool of candidates, right? People you want to select mm-hmm. from, what you want to choose from, what you want to interview. I look back at, OK, who's all in the room? Who's making these decisions? Who's deciding on what candidates we're going to interview? Hmm. Their process. That's the process to me that's broken. Who's making that decision? Because the guy who's making that decision is not quite doing a great job at possibly <laughs> interviewing minorities and in other Caucasians, right, who are part of fit, right, who are writing down names. And I think that is the broken part of it, really. Who's at the table? Who's making the decisions? Who are talking about that? And does these guys have the mindset to say, hey, oh, we're looking at everything we should be looking at to make that decision? Right. Because the one thing that I want our audience, anybody that stumbles upon this episode, None of us are saying that you should only be hiring black candidates. No, the best candidate Mm -hmm. should get the job. But you mean to tell me when you look around at that NFL landscape and 70 percent of the players like A-Dub mentioned earlier are African-American and you look around them damn sidelines and what we got two African-American coaches. So you mean to tell me that we talented enough to play on the field, but we ain't intelligent enough to be able to put together strategy to make things happen. No, right. that's, That's a slap in the face. Right. And, and, exactly. the thing, mm-hmm. and the thing is, it's, I still go back to names, Prez, and I think about this whole thing. And I don't want to get off topic, guys, but I go back to certain names. Ain't, ain't, no, ain't, no, ain't no topic, A-Dub. It's your world. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that, brother. I think about it, man. I was thinking about this here. Brian Leftwich just won the Super Bowl, right, with yep. the Buccaneers. Yep. Offensive coordinator, right? Yep. This guy's name should be a hot commodity out there. His name should be ringing bells across the world right now, you know? I think about him, man. And ain't nobody, just, ain't nobody talking about him, though. Nobody talking about them, man. It, to me, it's just, it's a shame, right? It's a shame. When you we talk about winners, right? Guys who win. The guys who win are, are being overlooked on many occasions, right? We talked about Eric. Overlooked mm. who just won the last year. We're talking about mm. Super Bowl champions here. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about anybody else here, Perez, right now. We're talking right. about champions. African-American yep. champions. 
Yep. So you mean to tell me these guys have done it on a big stage and they don't get any kinds of recognition or saying, hey, these guys are the ones who want to bring a board on our team, you know, because of what they've already accomplished. To me, it's a slap in the face. What more do you want from an African-American population with guys like that who are doing great? And champions. That's the million dollar question. We can get that answer. We get the answer of life here. <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, the example, you get, you came up, you said great examples. Why they not get looked at? Guys, whoever runs the NFL world here, we got to start paying attention because if we can see it, other people in damn she see it too. My last point here before we get out of here, when we look at diversity and the way mm-hmm. I look at it in the world, in the business world, and in the sports, I don't look at it just in race. I look right. at it in background. I look at it in skill set. What do you bring it to the table? Intangibles. Right. Right. All of those things bring up diversity. So when you look mm-hmm. at these organizations, how many of these organizations can raise their hand and say, we are truly a diverse organization. We are a collaborative organization. We're bringing all these great minds together to move forward in some kind of way. How many can actually say that? I can think of any organizations in the NFL that I can look at and say, man, from top to bottom, they get it. Because what I see a lot of times, fellas, is what they do is they try to do this check-the-box bullshit to say, hey, well, we interviewed this candidate, and it was a sham interview. We know it. And I wish that our candidates would stop taking these interviews when they know they ain't interested in hiring you. They just want to check the box to say, okay, I interviewed Jules. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming, Jules. Damn. Should I wait for a phone call? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're like, they're like, they're like, here's this gift card. Have lunch at Chipotle on us. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh man. That's tough, man. Because that's that is why I don't take that interviewing process very serious because of that reason. They're checking off a box. That's what it appeared to be. To say, hey, I interview somebody that who's a minority. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean I interview mm-hmm. somebody exactly. who I thought was a great candidate, whatever, for this role. It's because guess what? The quota is to interview somebody. That's not good enough for me. I want you to take that process very serious to say this guy has a fair chance that, hey, you know what? Hey, look, you have a, a real opportunity at getting this coaching job or offensive coordinator or GM role, whatever it may be, right? You have a real legit chance. And to do it as a checkbox, to me, is to stop the face to all the minorities who have interviewed for some of those roles that weren't taken serious. Right here, players or ex-players or people around the world, minority people around the world need to Let's start implementing a plan. Let's get a plan together. When there is a team that become uh, available to buy, to own, hey, people just need to get together and get this team. Because if not, it's going to be this society where you could never get in. People should start getting our papers together and try to own this team here. Because like I said, me personally, I may be wrong. I don't know. This is just me. In order to see any real changes, you have to have your own team or that person need to wake up and say, hey, listen, you know what? We need more diversity. We need fresh faces and ideas and, and new ownership. And I'm willing to go outside the box here. So you talk about the fact of us owning a team and, and that basically prompted real change. But I want to push back on you because look at the NBA, for instance. Now, Michael Jordan's the only minority owner in the league, right? Mm-hmm. But I would right. say that the mm-hmm. NBA has been more progressive than any league out there. I mean, look at last year as as a, an example. I mean, mm-hmm. they pretty much, that whole season, they made it about what was going on in the world. There could be more African-American coaches in the NBA. We can talk about that. But at least when you look at mm-hmm. the NBA from top to bottom, the way that they champion women, 
the way that they have women on, on and in coaches staffs, the way that they have mm-hmm. women and minorities in leadership positions. I think that they are a little bit more of an example of, hey, this can be done. So what is it that the NBA understands that the NFL doesn't? That's what I wish that we could figure out. Hey, hey. What I think on this press is a lot of it's about the brand. The NBA brand is a little bit different from the NFL brand. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Mm-hmm. Talk to right. me about one that. thing right, right now. When Colin Kaepernick kneel, okay, who all did it piss off? Oh, it pissed off everybody. It was the owners. Trump? The owners? Exactly. From the, from the president to the fan mm-hmm. base who all, all even got it wrong, didn't even understand the main reason why he was kneeling. You see what I'm saying? It's like yeah. the, the cultural mindset, right? It's the mindset. And he had mm-hmm. a lot of the fan base saying, oh, he's wrong for kneeling. He's disrespecting, you know, the, 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 the military. That's not even it. No. So it's like really mm-hmm. the, the mindset. It's the cultural mindset. In the NBA standpoint, press, you can do these things. You know what? These things are right. saluted. They are praised. These are things are praised. Mm-hmm. These are things that are highlighted. The LeBron yep. James and what they do. These things are highlighted, right? We put that on, on the front screen. When you do this in the NFL, you may take some backlash. Mm-mm. Oh, you know what? Mm-mm. Hold on now. Now, A-Dub, you, 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 you spitting now. Okay. So we got LeBron James, who's the face of the NBA at this particular time. And he's one of the more outspoken people of all the sports. Mm-hmm. Who's the equivalent of a, a LeBron James as African-American in the NFL, would you guys say? Who's like the face? Patrick oh, Mahomes may be the face, right? Is that Patrick yeah, Mahomes it got to be Mahomes. Is it, is it him now? Right. Is it him yeah. now? So it's got to be it him. It got to be Mahomes. It got to be now, Mahomes. Now, does Mahomes speak up? No, he doesn't speak up as much. He doesn't speak up as much. He doesn't. I, I haven't seen a lot from him around that. I really have not. Now, is that because of him not being willing to? Or is it because he knows that him saying some of this stuff is going to upset season ticket holders? Yes. Fan base? And it's going to fuck go. up his endorsement well, opportunities. Because it, it all comes back to money. It all comes back to money. There you go. There you go. So here's what happened with Colin Kaepernick. He did what he did, and he got crucified for it. And they made an example out there, boy. Yep. Anybody else going to do it, they got in the back of the mind like, damn, will I be another Kaepernick? Now, let's be honest. Kaepernick is doing more now than he ever did on that football field, as far as uh, injustice and stuff like that, getting his point across. But it goes to show people that's playing in the game now, like, man, do I even want to do that because of the other backlash that he got? Let's be honest. Like A-Dub said, Entirely two different entities with the NBA and NFL. That NFL boy is, is a good old boys club. Mm-hmm. And you go against that. They took Kaepernick's career. So you are right about that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think Mahomes need to win at least a couple more championships. But see, I feel like that's a problem because LeBron has felt for a very long time empowered to say whatever uh-huh. he wants. Because he right. obviously has a good relationship with the commissioner, mm-hmm. but LeBron also probably is pretty strong in the fact that he knows he probably can't speak up the way he does because he's got the backing of Nike and all these other places. Right. I'm not right. sure how emboldened Patrick Mahomes is, but my point of saying that was just you have two superstar players of color and they both move a little differently with the way that their messaging is. Right. And, and, right. and they both are in different leagues. So it just kind of points the picture to me of, man, what's the NFL? What's the, what's their deal, man? Because like A-Dub said, Colin Kaepernick took that knee. Everybody was all in their feelings about that shit. You know, guys both know I'm a season ticket holder at, at Bears games. Mm-hmm. I will look around at them damn seats and the way them people be hooting and hollering when that damn national anthem play. And I'm sitting here like, good Lord, shut the fuck up. Like, I get it. I love being an American. But I'm just going to say this, and this is something I've always felt. Playing the national anthem at these games, to me, that ain't about no patriotic bullshit. 
the military pays the NFL millions and millions of dollars to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And nobody right. and nobody talks about that. You know all that is? That's an advertising slogan. That's being targeted to young fans to get them to enlist in the military. There you go. That's the truth right there. That's what's happening. And they've taken this whole thing out of context, really. That's what's being happening right here. It's being taken out of context when it comes down to African-Americans when we push back on certain things. I know we unpacked a lot on this episode. A-Dub, brother, thank you so much for jumping on the show with us, man. It's been a pleasure. This is episode, I'm telling you, audience, we unpacked a lot in this episode. I'm sure some of y'all probably going to have a lot to say. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, friends and jewels, thank you both for having me on. I really appreciate my time here, fellas. I had a great time with you guys. You guys are as real as it's come, you know, so thank you so much for having me on. And you already know how we do. We don't let just let anybody on this show. And Jules could tell you, we'd be having people that be mm-hmm. hitting us up. Oh, I'd love to come on your show. I bet you would. <laughs> I, I don't share the sentiments. Said, you. <laughs> 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 nice. Me and Jules, we, we sucker free over here. So that's, that's how we roll. So. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Hey, Dub, I just want to say, man, appreciate you coming on. And you killing it over there at the, the Bears Essential Podcast, man. You've been doing your thing, man. You impressed. Y'all be having me rolling, boy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, man, man, keep up with the good, hey, man. Keep up the good work, man, because y'all be on fire over there, man. Hey, I appreciate that, man. As long as I win that bet, man, I'm all good. Man, you ain't winning that bet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so by the way, we got what? What we got? We got uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, who else? We... Uh, is it? Gonzaga, Baylor, UCLA, and Houston. In Houston, right, yeah. right, right. Okay. They're, they're, they're playing today. So A-Dub needs Gonzaga to win it all to beat me. Yeah, that's what I need. <laughs> that, hey, that's a good part. Hey, that, that looks good. That looks good. He's he's but, looking favorable. Yeah, we'll but, for, but, but for right now, yeah. and, I te- and I teased him about it yesterday. Oh, A-Dub's in 25th place. I might not be the best with numbers, but I feel like 25th place might not be too good. I don't know. What, what you think, audience? Uh oh! <laughs> how many? How many of y'all been in twenty fifth place in anything in life? That that's that's kind of like a participation ribbon category right there. Damn. Hey man, I, I get up on this call right there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey y'all know what's y'all know what's all over, man. I, I I had I had to get him. A, a-, a- Dub was taking a victory lap on me like a couple weeks ago, man. I was I took it though. <laughs> But I was yeah. sitting up there. I got off the call. I was like, man, he dub, man. He might be beating me on this thing. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got hey, to have hey, his hey, moment hey. right now, Jules. I got I, I to have his moment right now. He's winning. He's ahead. I got to roll with that right now. Okay. Hey, Dub, I got to win at something, man. I, I got no garage right now. I need something to win. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> that makes sense. You're right, bro. You're right. All these damn cars on the street right now. You know people don't know how to drive. I'm, I'm worried every day. I'm like, man. Hope nobody running this car. Right. <laughs> y'all, know how, y'all know how it be with these hit and runs. Oh, so, man. Oh, man. Yeah, don't say about hit and runs. a lot of them. And, yeah, they don't man. care. They don't care at all. Hell no, they don't care. There's always somebody with a busted, beat-up-ass car, too. I always wondered that. I'm like, when you see people driving like a damn fool, and you look at their car, they bumper hanging off, you like, damn, dude, you ain't mm-hmm. learned from that. Right. <laughs> Those are the cars I try to stay away from, friends. Not see them, but hey, yeah, get, get, get out the way, the man. Lane, man. <laughs> yeah. You know what my mom always used to say? She said, "Don't mess with people that don't have nothing to lose." That's one of them cars. They ain't got nothing to lose. Uh-huh. <laughs> nothing. Uh-huh. <laughs> you right. <laughs> All right, well, fellas, man, let's go to get up off. We we could be on this damn thing for three hours messing around with a dub, man. But hey, a dub, mm-hmm. thanks so much, man, for jumping on the show, man. Love, bro. Love, man, fellas. Appreciate pleasure. You, 
Thank you. Man, Jules, that, that was a good one, man. Woof. I love it, man. I love it. I love it, man. Woof. <laughs> Woof. Great show today. Great man. show. We unpacked a lot, man. I hope the audience loved it. Jules, man, you know it's all love, man. We we talked about a lot of things, and there's a lot of things that I think that are important conversations for people to start having. And I just really hope that people understand that we're not trying to push an agenda on this show. We're just trying to open mm-hmm. dialogue and get people to think about things in a different way than you may be thinking about them. Right, right. or wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's all that matters here. Just have everything in perspective and be fair about everything. That's all. It's not rocket science what we're doing here. We're just speaking obvious. What we see, what's going wrong in the world, just, just bringing the conversation and including you people to enjoy and to be a part of this conversation. So mm-hmm. that's all. Audience, thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed your Samato coffee as you were listening to this episode. Without further ado, mm. we are out. Jules, going to hit him with that curtain call, bruh. This curtain call goes out to Mike Tomlin, who is the third longest tenured head coach in the NFL. Mike has been leading the Pittsburgh Steelers since 2007 and has guided the team to the sixth AFC North title and the 2008 Super Bowl championship. Tomlin worked his way through the ranks after his playing career. In 1995, he was named the wide receiver coach at Virginia Military Institute. Over the next four years, he served in a different role as a coach for multiple schools, serving as a graduate assistant and a defensive back coach. In 1999, he became the defensive back coach at the University of Cincinnati for two seasons. He went on to make his NFL coaching debut during the 2001 season as a defensive back coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tomlin was a part of that Buccaneers Super Bowl winning team during the 2002 season. After five seasons in Tampa Bay, Tomlin became the defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings for the 2006 season. In November 2020, Tomlin recorded his 140th victory as a head coach. That moved him past Tony Dungy for the most wins by a black head coach in NFL history. Tomlin has helped and paved the way for young black coaches out there who have dreams of one day coaching in the league. Coach Tomlin, President I am Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast family, like the knowledge, and congratulate you for all your success. Keep winning, coach. That's what's up, Jules. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.